0: Shit, shit, shit show. It's a fucking shit show. Shit Welcome back to Shit Show Saturday. We are joined by Shit Show Zach. Welcome.
1: Oh, thanks for having me.
0: Shit Show Zach from Jersey. In the hot seat. Yes, it is. So what song do you want played when you walk into a room? Don't say Miley Cyrus or I'll end the interview right now.
1: Yeah, I've never heard Miley Cyrus. And I don't <laughs> intend to. I'm probably... Uh, Can't You Hear Me Knocking from the Rolling Stones.
0: Love it. Um, Okay, carbohydrate.
1: Ooh, toss up either between uh, salt bagel cream cheese or Mm. just a a baguette. Cheese. Free.
0: Baked or cold? Yes. Both. (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) I'll I'll take it. (laughs) condiment hot sauce
0: are you a condiment whore no are you avoidant no i don't think you are from what i've heard about you so far
1: <laughs> no for, well for me hot sauce will always have a special place in my heart too because like when i was in the service it's whenever we were out in the field things i would always bring extra toilet paper and hot sauce mm-hmm. when you have to live off of uh, mres those little meals ready to eat for weeks on end you gotta make like, it. Happen,
0: what so. is what Is it like a bar, or is it like something that you heat up?
1: Uh, there, I mean, there's meals. So like they have like the little bag pouches, and like they actually have a little heater, which rarely ever used because you have to put water in it and a little like boil it up and stuff like that. But just usually for you know time expediency, just rip the bag open and just eat it cold. But, what I mean, is it typically? Uh, well, they had a whole mix. There was, uh, I guess, they have like the what beef and macaroni. They had like chicken and dumplings. There's all sorts of different meals they're filling. I'll, Edible? I'll that Kind of. But that's why, you know, it's I will bring along hot sauce and just I'd rather taste that versus uh, the MREs after a while. Although being in the service, it, like it always came with candy as well. We'd actually use candy as currency out in the field.
0: What kind of candy?
1: Uh, Skittles, MMs. ms
0: Nice. Where were you? Were you overseas?
1: Uh, for me, my unit, we when I was in, we deployed to Kuwait for nine months. Which, with me and with my drinking career, that was the longest I was, I can't say sober, but I was Mm -hmm. dry in my 20 years of drinking.
0: Wow. When did you realize that you were an adult child?
1: I was reflecting on that before, because I've heard some of your other podcasts already, and I know you're going to ask that. uh, But just kind of thinking about it, I think part of me always knew. I just didn't have the uh,
0: vocabulary
1: for it. I mean, just even growing up where seeing my parents fighting and just the... The drinking and just the abuse and everything else going on part of me knew that wasn't normal because i would go and play at friends houses and seeing their parents getting along seeing siblings not fighting each other not stealing from each other and seeing counterexamples from what i experienced so part of me always knew something was off i just didn't know how to vocalize it but i was never you know never got a chance to either so
0: I think that's one thing, right? Like knowing that it was like not normal, but what about like realizing truly how much it had impacted you?
1: I'm still slowly uh realizing it. I mean, I've been doing, been doing ACA for almost three years now. I've been sober for five and a half years and it's not my first time in the rooms either. I, I was in and out for years. I mean, I'm 41 now. First started going to the rooms when I was 24, when I got my DUI. But prior to that, I haven't, my older brothers, one of them has been in and out of the program for years and saw and witnessed him drinking when I was growing up when he was a teenager and how bad it got. So I knew about AA growing up,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: then didn't go in until I was 24 and didn't stick. Like I said, it's that was the first time in and I've been sober five and a half years. So
0: Did, were you able to accumulate any time? Like, had you ever gotten a year before this? No, no,
1: I think yeah, the longest I had was three months and then decided to go into the army at at 30, which for somebody trying to get sober or stay sober is not a good idea.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Not exactly a culture that, uh, embraces sobriety.
0: Yeah, I'd say so. What about, um, but so what was it that led you into ACA at, um, what you had two and a half years sober, two years sober?
1: Yeah. Um, I guess just timing wise, I was kind of reflecting on that as well, where, so pretty much. I guess with, with getting sober leads into me coming into ACA of course. Um, but basically briefly hitting bottom with my drinking, I was living with my dad and we were drinking ourselves to death. Mm. And thankfully it was a uh, three friends of mine who perfect group for an intervention, three childhood friends. we had all worked together for years and all three of them were veterans as well. So I couldn't bullshit my way out of it with them. They intervened. They came to uh, my dad's place and Mm. i think part of them you know now now i can see that they thought they might be seeing me for the last time it was kind of a last-ditch effort to get in contact with me because i had completely lost touch with everybody because i was just drinking around the clock Mm. um i'd lost a job before that and just went on a full-on bender for six months straight drinking about a gallon of vodka a day it was uh you know great times and in that time feeble efforts here and there to try to quit drinking where I, I couldn't last for more than three days without getting a drink in me. Cause like I couldn't hold on water without having a drink. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I definitely, I'm one of those low bottom drunks and, uh, I'm, I'm glad because it makes me realize that I have very limited options. It's either don't drink or drink and die. But mm. along those lines, my friends got me to the VA. And from there I was looking homeless services. It's, uh, I grew up in a pretty affluent town around around here in New Jersey, and when I left going to the service, I swore I was never going to come back. Then, of course, the way things work, now I'm living two towns over from where I grew up and working over here. But the VA that I was staying at is one town over from where I grew up, so was I was coming home regardless because I had no other options. It was I well I did have options, but I realized that they weren't options. It was when I was in rehab, they gave me the choice of going to the VA. Or I could go back and live with my dad, which I knew couldn't happen because I would go back to drinking. There was another, I guess, a uh, home for veterans up nearby him. But it was like 10 minutes down the road. And I figured it would be the same thing. So I couldn't do that. So I ended up here. And so I was not drinking, finally getting to meetings after my father drank himself to death. And that's when I realized how powerless I am over this disease because, mm. uh. When I, when, I saw him, when I saw him dead at the hospital, my first thought wasn't, oh, my God, he's dead. My thought was, I need a fucking drink. And that's where it impacted me and floored me. Mm. So I started doing the steps in AA, and it was helping. But then getting to the fourth step, doing that moral inventory, where I have to look at it myself and see where everything is my fault and I'm, I'm to blame for things. It, just, it brought up a lot in me that it would remind me of growing up, where I was always at fault. I was always to blame. And it impacted me there. I mean, I went through because I was desperate, but it hurt, and it opened up a lot of wounds. And then in time, it was uh, eh, trying to get into relationships and things like that, and a relationship went south. And I was at just a spiritual low point where I didn't want to drink, but it was either that or, you know, I wanted to, of me, wanted to blow my brains out. I just moved out of the VA finally because I lived in homeless services for two and a half years. The pandemic hit. I was sponsoring a guy who died of stage four lung cancer, another friend of mine, another Zach od so it was a lot of shit hitting the fan at the same time and it just uh it was overwhelming and the weird thing with ACA was that so everything was shutting down around here businesses and all that so me and a couple of buddies decided to go to uh there's a great swamp not too far from us we went there and like oh we'll do some hiking we had a little ad hoc meeting and a great swamp
0: meeting, is that what you call it
1: <laughs> yeah it's it's called a great swamp it's the biggest swamp in New Jersey but they have hiking trails and stuff like that. So we had a little ad hoc meeting by the swamp. And we're like, yeah, we'll go hiking afterwards. As we're walking in, a guy who I knew in AA comes walking out. I hadn't seen him in a year. He had just celebrated a little over a year. But I hadn't seen him in ages. Bumps into us and he starts bullshitting with all of us. And then he just turned to me. He's like, Zach, I've been thinking about you. I know you said you drank with your father. You need to check out ACA.
0: Mm.
1: What the fuck is that? It's, it's just check it out. So I had this guy come walking out of a swamp and tell me about ACA. And then I haven't heard from him or seen him since. For me, that was like a big kind of a uh, god shot. Yeah, it's not not so much a god wink as a smack in the back of the head saying, pay attention to this. Hmm. And I was just I was hurting and I'm like, you know, what? I need to check. This is weird enough. I need to check this out. And then when I first read the laundry laundry list, it just it resonated every single one. It just it's. And that's what I knew. It's like, okay, I belong here as well. I needed to get sober in order for me to be prepared to go to the ACA.
0: <clears throat> yeah. That brought up a lot of things. One, like the thought of, you know, cause my mom was the alcoholic, the thought of drinking with my mother gives me like makes me nauseous. Just thinking about that. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just such an eerie experience. Like hearing you share about that. it's So disturbing. And then, you know, when you were talking about the the four step, you know one thing've I've often thought about is how, like people who can't stay sober, people who kill themselves at 20 years sober, you know, I often think it's because they've never addressed this stuff. But then like thinking about the fourth step for some people, if you have all this like unresolved trauma. And you're doing it from like an AA perspective. God, talk about re-traumatizing.
1: Absolutely. And that's why I'm grateful having gone through the steps in ACA uh, with a buddy of mine where just the idea of the blameless inventory of my parents, and my family. And so not only recognizing that, okay, yeah, I am an alcoholic, true, but I'm a part of the system and seeing where it all interacted and interplayed to make me the alcoholic that I am doesn't exonerate me from behavior I've done or anything like that, but it helps goes a long way to explain and having that better understanding that I can not just learn about it, but learn to do something about it. More importantly,
0: I just think about like when I got sober and just the word trauma, like never came up ever.
1: True. I mean, at that point when, when the text was written in 19, 1930s, they didn't have the vocabulary then either. I mean,
0: well, they didn't have until like ten years ago. You know what yeah, I mean? T- today we
1: talk about PTSD, which used to be referred to as combat fatigue, and before that, mm-hmm. it was shell shock. Yep. Um, and I mean, like right, be- right behind me, I got a poster. I had in my wall. It's uh to Helen back with a the movie Audie Murphy started in as himself, which must have been a horrific experience too, because he was to this day he's still the most highly decorated soldier in American history, and he went through some serious shit, and then. 10 years later, hey, we're going to make a movie about you. Why don't you play yourself? So he had to relive all that trauma to make this movie. But for me, it it holds a special part. You know, it's my heart because the movie's called, based on his book, To Hell and Back. And that's also the the same unit I was in, 3rd Infantry Division. Um, When I was stationed down to Fort Benning, his unit was right down the street from where I worked. And so, I mean, it's just it's kind of... But that guy, I mean, he was the poster child for PTSD. He was, he was a maniac after the war, and he struggled. But again, they didn't have the uh, the vocabulary there, and so that's where I try to be a little gentler now. Because like at first with AA, I was really pissed off, when especially when I first started ACA. But now it's the better understanding that they don't have the language. But thank God for AA because it helped me get sober and grounded enough that
0: yeah, you could confront. This. I can
1: start to explore these things. I mean, yeah. I almost see. I see it as. I mean, a lot of times, and you'll, probably, you'll start hearing me bring it up in meetings, too, that we have. I bring up a lot of uh, military analogies. I look at this as that AA is my primary job, my MOS. I did artillery. But then going into ACA, it's like going to ranger school or special forces. It's just something that makes me a better soldier, mm-hmm. doing all these different types of training. And they all interweave and interconnect. And I'm grateful for that. I mean, then I, thank God, it's a... Uh, I mean, past couple of months have been kind of shaky for me. I'm currently have no contact with my sister and my mom from a lot of a lot of bullshit from last year. And I recognized I was being basically a flying monkey for both of them and just going back and forth and it was just driving me crazy. And finally recognized that and had to step away from them. And then a month ago, it's uh, a girl I was dating for a couple of months is just out of the blue. I just like I I don't want to be with anybody. And that was her truth and I have to accept it for what it is. It still hurts and I'm still processing it. But for me, kind of recognizing that that ties into my deeper, my deeper wounds and the way I relate with other people. Um, I was talking to my sponsor before where there's a recognition of like a template I had growing up. My mom was very controlling and domineering, which to an extent I see where she needed to be because she was raising six kids by herself because my dad was an alcoholic and a workaholic and so he was never there. So on the one end, I had a very controlling, domineering mom, so I didn't get a good, like a positive, like feminine example. Yeah,
0: emotional. Yeah. And,
1: and then, yeah, and then my dad, I got no masculine sample either. And so I was left with whatever the hell they were giving me—a bunch so, of shit,
0: a bunch yeah, of mush. a bunch of
1: shit—and and I was <laughs> letting, yeah, I was feeding off of breadcrumbs, and I was certainly the mascot at times, trying to you know, seek validation from everybody. I was a lost, lost child at times. All these different things and I recognize. And so here I'm at 41 years old now. It's like, okay, shit, what the hell do I do? But at least, thankfully, today no. myself, I'm recognizing that, one, there is a problem. And now I can start work, moving towards the solution rather than dwelling in the problem like I did for years and drinking over it. I see it as like basically taking a gut shot when I was a kid. And now it's the, rather than wrapping bandages for years and years, it's, and then try to soothe it with alcohol and other vices. It's all right. Rip off the, uh, the bandages and get the work and the bullet out. Cause you know, time doesn't heal all wounds, but it's what I do with the time that does.
0: Yes. Have you had any insights or ah ahas from this last relationship ending? Do you think that there were some red flags that were overlooked?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, as I think about it more and more, it's a, I mean, a couple things where it's almost you know, oddly Freudian. Where so, my dad, his his father killed himself. My dad was 11 years old. Oof. My mother, she lost her mom when she was 10. Uh, brain aneurysm. My girlfriend, her father died of a heart attack when she was 11. Oof. And with her and her knowing about her past and her her family dynamic growing up, it was uh, she's troubled.
0: <laughs> she's, she's, one of, she's one of us yes that,
1: that's it and uh and that's okay i mean it's i pray for every day as i pray to let her you know let go and so there i mean there's that whole dynamic there it's a uh, you know that bro- the broken picker i believe you've uh, mentioned before that's certainly there but the positives i can take from it though i used to be terrified of relationships i would swing between being either codependent or counter-dependent where i push everyone and everything away Figuring I can do this on my own and that that stubborn will to do it my on my make it on my own. Cause I figured it's if I push people away, I'll get them before they get me. Cause I was terrified of trusting people. But here in this relationship, I I went all in. Made myself vulnerable. And, you know, rather than I was terrified of losing myself and losing my identity. But I didn't. I brought myself in as best as I could. And as she said for herself, she Realized that she didn't want to be with anybody, and that was her being honest with herself. And so, rather Did than that look come it out, out
0: was, of nowhere, like was that a shock to you?
1: Yeah, yeah, it no, was. I mean, our last conversation in the morning was, ah, "I'm probably not gonna make it over tonight, but I'll swing by tomorrow." And then she texted me later on in the evening. But what I recognize is, rather than be pissed off that, oh, you know, she was being dishonest with me. Of course she was. She was being dishonest with herself, so she couldn't be honest with me. So I don't have to take it personally in that regard.
0: Mm-mm. No, absolutely not. Especially the way it went down.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it still stings, of course, but it's the but that recognition that I was able to, you know, be as good a boyfriend as I could be, and I can be grateful for that. So that's something I, I something I could take moving forward. You know,
0: well, and also just the fact that you no, it's not about you. I mean, I think that's even bigger. Like that's fucking huge.
1: Yeah. Because I always personalized and everything personally.
0: Um. Okay. So talk a little bit more about your childhood.
1: Uh, <laughs> well, it's a lot of, a lot of jumbled stuff for me. Um, There's a lot of things I don't recall, but it's, I was kind of reflecting on like, our what are my, some of my earliest childhood memories? then. Um, Playing in the yard, there was a series of pictures uh, my mom had for years where my next older, next oldest brother, just above me, him and I, we we fought viciously growing up, just constantly at each other. I think part of it was the age and the whole pecking order. You know, he was getting beaten on by the uh, oldest brothers. And then there was me. So I was the target. But, uh, you know, there's a series of pictures that were like, I'm playing in the sandbox. He comes over and pushes me. But then the next picture after that is me clocking him and just, and here we, that's like us being like three and four years old respectively. But, uh, you know, some stuff playing in the yard, but then other, other things I remember is like hiding underneath our porch. I, I don't have, I can't distinctly remember like when I would get beat. All I remember would be the, either my mom or my dad coming towards me. And then now I refer to it as a commercial break. I guess it was just me dissociating. I don't, I don't remember anything. I'd just be, I'd be sore afterwards, and I remember hiding under the porch or in the basement or playing off in the woods just to escape. And for me, it's always been about escape. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: When I got old enough, where I was able to go, start, start playing at friends' houses, I would go to their houses all the time. I mean, growing up in the '80s, it was the, you know, being able to play out, play out in the woods until dark, be home by nine o'clock. I would do that um, when I was old enough to work. I became a workaholic. I would just con- constantly work, and the place I worked at was a movie theater, so they were open every single day. So holidays was perfect. Up, I can't make it for Thanksgiving dinner. And I have to work. Can't be there for. I'll be there for Christmas morning for opening presents, but up, I gotta go to work. And then whatever it was, birthdays, anything like that, just a way to escape and evade. Um, so I was always just running away and hiding. And then, but desperately still, when I was around, trying to be that mascot, trying to seek validation from other people. But of course, I would also hide in video games. When I, you know, picked up like reading fantasy novels, started like Lord of the Rings and things like that. Just, you know, <laughs> I mean, I do remember one thing in sixth grade where my favorite teacher to this day, Mrs. Ivy, she failed me in reading. But she was probably the best teacher I ever had because she noticed she noticed something was wrong. And rather than just
0: passing you and letting it go. Yeah.
1: She actually would follow through and see if I was okay. And she would always ask me. I'd never tell her what was going on, but she would always ask me and tell me if you ever want to talk, I'm here. Mm. And, you know, I didn't take her up on her offer, but she always offered. But there was one day I was walking to school. She almost clipped me with a car because I wasn't paying attention. I was reading and she had to swerve around me. And when I got to school, she's like did you did you notice I almost hit you It's like, what are you talking about like even there, I was dissociating on my way to school. So for me, it was always just running and hiding. I mean I remember playing Mike Tyson's punch out and staying upstairs and playing it all all night well because it was uh my one brother with it who was drinking um. It got bad enough and he attempted suicide downstairs and I could hear the police cars and I could hear the ambulance and all that stuff. And I was just told, stay upstairs. So I played that damn game all night. Still couldn't beat Mike Tyson. And to this day, I still have never beaten Mike Tyson. <laughs> but I can go through the rest of the game and get to him. No problem. But it was always just there's always something going on that always chaos in the family. Just nonstop. And so, yeah, a lot of stuff, I I guess I intentionally blotted out
0: were your when did your parents divorce
1: uh when i was about about seven or so the thing is that they divorced and then they remarried each other when i was in college so i guess about 1920. and it was it came as a surprise to all of us because it was one day my mom was like yeah father and i were getting married
0: did you were they like did you know that they were like they had a relationship they were talking Friends. uh-huh yeah.
1: A lot of times it would be my dad would call to intentionally start a fight because that's the only way he knew to
0: communicate. communicate.
1: (laughs) They'd be in a row and then they wouldn't talk and it would just be the back and forth. And so I always felt like I was forced to play the role of Switzerland. I had to be neutral for both of them. For me, it was along the lines as well. That reminds me of when my dad had moved out. A couple of my siblings and even to this day, like there was team mom and team dad.
0: Mm. It had
1: to be for both of them, but I think it was me that desperation desperate thing that if I'm good enough, they'll get back together, things will be okay, so always trying striving for that people pleasing to make things better but uh, yeah, a couple of my siblings wouldn't talk to him, and so my dad there was one one day where he told me, and i i I'm guessing he was probably drunk, but I don't know, but he said he's like, oh, if you stop calling, well. I'm just going, I'm going to move away. And you'll never see me again. I'm just going to be able to become a trucker, drive cross country, and you guys are no longer my problem. And he put it on me at 11 years old. And so I would call him and call him. And there were days where he wouldn't answer the phone, but I would sit there for an hour and let the phone ring. Oof. The old house line, you know, it's just like, you you know, the phone is just going to keep ringing. Hmm. And in the meanwhile, there was my mom where, mean she would overspend money on getting us nice clothing and things like that but then we didn't have enough money for food so we're living in an affluent town living on food stamps relying on the food bank the phone would ring and we'd have to answer it because it was typically bill collectors and so she didn't want to talk to them and she would go into depressive states where she'd be hiding in her room for a week on end i mean to this day it's even even as i talk about it it's there's still a part of me that feels numb, and it's thankfully slowly thawing. It's, it's it's a glacier. It's going to take a while, and here I am with a little hair dryer trying to melt it. But it's uh, thankfully each time I share though, and I bring these things up, kind of builds up the fire a little bit, and you know, these things are going to start breaking off in larger chunks. But it's I got to keep putting the work into it. I mean, just briefly getting back to the uh, the breakup before, where even a year ago had that ha- this happened. I would have isolated and I don't know if I'd necessarily drink over it, but I'd be completely and utterly miserable hiding away. But one thing I did learn in the service that I'm really embracing here, it's uh, we were trained that if you're in a situation where you get ambushed, the way to survive is to attack into it. You stand still, you're dead. You try to run away, you're dead. The only way to overcome it is to attack into it. Which I guess the nicer way, as we say in AA, is the uh, living life on life's terms. Mm hmm. But for me, it's, it was uh, kind of embrace the suck and uh, just to move forward. It was the, okay, this sucks. I need to share at a meeting. I'll share at another meeting. Let me call my network. Let me call my guys. Let them know what's going on. As I've recognized these these wounds and how deep they go. Again, as I said before, you know, just not even having like a proper female role model it's you know i'm grateful that i got a chance to talk to you and talking to the other women in meetings as well and it's like letting them know yeah this is where i'm at Mm -hmm. and being comfortable enough to say that whereas even a short while ago i wouldn't wasn't comfortable saying it which is in its own way was my disease manifesting itself so i have to go to the core of everything so as i mentioned that uh meeting the other day about the uh it's the elephant elephant.
0: yeah tell that story
1: all right so the elephant in the circus it's uh yeah, I wish I could say I made it up, but uh, I didn't. It's a, uh, I read it somewhere, but it's the idea that when an elephant, you know, a eh, little baby elephant out in the out in the wilds running around and somebody wants to bring it to the circus, they got to tame it. So they got to break it first. Wrap a, uh, wrap a rope around its neck and drive a stake into the ground, put the rope onto that. And it's going to buck, it's going to struggle to try to get out, you know, break away from the, Break the stake out of the ground, but it's too, it's a baby, it's too weak. So eventually it's gonna tire, it's gonna get exhausted, and it's gonna get hungry, and it's gonna and it's gonna be scared, so it's gonna stop struggling. And when that happens, that's when they start to train it. And then as it gets bigger and bigger, every time they put that stake in the ground, and they got the rope around its neck, it believes it can't break away. And so, you know, they train it to perform at the circus, and so it's getting peanuts, and it's performing. And that was me for a long time, reckon, uh, believing that I couldn't break out of it. But now slowly, but surely, I'm slowly recognizing that, yeah, I can. Let's break out of that one. Of course, now I've found that there's there's other stakes in the ground still. There's a lot of ropes holding me down, but it's being willing to break each one loose. Now it's just kind of following the ropes, as it were, and seeing where they lead. And it's for me, it's going back. Going back to that mother wound and that father wound, taking those bullets out and, uh, you know, tend to them as best as I can. It's raw and it hurts, but by doing that, you know, instead of being that elephant performing for peanuts, it's the, I break those stakes out. And it's like, what am I going to do now? Whatever the fuck I want.
0: Do you have like a good funny shit show story that you want to share?
1: I'm trying to think what I what I can share.
0: Yeah, or something that is like cringy that now you can laugh at.
1: Well, I guess like a cringy thing I can bring up is uh, I was actually got myself because my my drinking days down at Fort Benning, I apparently became a uh, somewhat of a celebrity down there. Thank God for my higher power watching over my ass, but it was uh, prior to our deployment, we had to go out to the uh, Mojave Desert and train out there for a month at the National Training Center out there. We get back. And of course, you know, hadn't had a drink in a month, and I, you know, the, so the itch was pretty strong. Go partying with some guys. The next day, happened to be April Fool's Day, which actually, thankfully, worked in my favor. Um, air conditioning's not working in our in our barracks. It's like 100 degrees outside. It's about a, over 100 degrees in my room. Little hair of the dog is a really bad idea. And oh, I'm I'm going to strip down. I'm I'm really I'm really hot. Okay. Then decide to go outside and have a cigarette. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> I I I blacked out. And when I finally came to, I'm running down the hall being chased by a sergeant and a private. Go into my room. They come following me. I'm I'm got my hands covering my junk. And the, the guys the sergeant just started yelling at me. He's like when a sergeant addresses you, you stand at ease. That's when you're supposed to have your hands behind your back. Kind of look down, look at him. I'm like, are you sure about this? Just turn around his head and turn his head turned around to disgust. He's like, just put some fucking clothes on. So now I'm sitting there, He's like, all right, great. I'm gonna be in a lot of trouble. My my barracks was on the first floor. So end up being the next higher ranking NCO. He comes over, knocks on my window, and I open it up. It's like uh what was that movie? With there's something about Mary? When no. uh like the firemen and the top are like standing in the window while uh, Ben Stiller's got the, the zipper stuck. It was like that. Hey, you know, I just want to let you know, yeah, you're you're in a lot of trouble. But uh I put in a good word for you because you didn't get violent with anybody. You just I'm glad you got some clothes on now. But uh <laughs> Yeah, I mean word got around really quick about that. And uh I mean unfortunately it didn't help my drinking because it was uh before that every I got I was still relatively new to the unit and everyone thought that because I came in older, they're like, Oh, you're you're yeah, you're special investigation, you're a narc. Nobody would talk to me. After that, they're like, if you're if you're a narc, you're really deep cover. So everybody was cool <laughs> with me after that. Unfortunately, <laughs> fortunately and unfortunately, but <laughs> I mean, it was just like I was just it was amazing. And like the the only reason, a couple of reasons they didn't uh, throw my ass into jail, thank God, was it was a Sunday. There was no women or children up there. I could have been tagged as a sex offender for that. Um, it was April Fool's. So my first sergeant, when he heard about it, he thought it was a joke at first because he knew me to be a somewhat reliable soldier. And we were about to deploy, so we're like, uh, we need the numbers, so alright, we'll keep an eye on this kid, um, don't get too fucked up before we go, alright, off you go. And then we, uh, we went overseas eventually, but uh, I never lived that down after that, it was just like, yeah, I just bet you positive. didn't. <laughs> and it's one of those things, it's like, it's another, t- another term I heard in the service, embrace the suck. Exactly. Might as well laugh about it, and that's what I'm slowly learning and you know, coming to coming to terms with everything that's happened to me, it's for good or bad, it shaped me into who I am today.
0: Yeah, it made you fucking interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah that's for damn sure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so what are three things that you like about yourself?
1: I think for me, uh, I try to have integrity.
0: I mean, one thing for sure is it sounds like you came from a really like upstanding family. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, one, of um, the, one, of, one of the things I like most about myself, my roots, my genetics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we try
1: but, to put, it, try <laughs> to put a, a facade. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> but I, I try to have integrity, though, in that you know when I say I'm going to do something, I'm, I do. I follow through. Rather than make promises that I can't keep, it's I won't make promises unless I know I can't keep them. So, I mean, even along those lines, it's something as simple as, I mean, and what a gift for me is that with my job five and a half years ago when I was drinking, I was unemployable two and a half years. I've lived in homeless services now today. you know, it's, and actually next week will be five years at this job. I started working there six months over. So there was a first, there was a point where I didn't have a car either. So for a good six months I was walking to work every day, five miles from the VA to work
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I did it cause I had to, but, uh, What I'm grateful for is that having that integrity, showing up, being willing to do the extra work, which part of it was, you know, I'm working on my workaholism elements of me, trying to cut back a little bit here and there. So even, as I mentioned uh, before we started uh, recording, where I'm able to leave work, take an extended lunch to go to an AA meeting so I can get my meetings in. This way I'm not working all day and getting too exhausted and give myself the excuse of, oh, I can't make it to a meeting. No, I can make it during the day. My boss knows I'm in the program and he's okay with it. Now that they're willing to trust me five and a half years ago, I was drinking myself to death. Couldn't hold a job. Now I'm managing a warehouse. Mm -hmm. I have people who trust me. So, you know, there it's, I recognize I have some integrity. I can be trustworthy. I can be diligent. You know, I can be compassionate.
0: They're all good things. But most importantly, the the genetics. Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hope or dream for the future.
1: I want to build a cabin.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I've been uh binge watching uh YouTube videos about living off the grid. I don't know if I want to fully live off the grid, but like, you
0: know, eh,
1: three quarters off or something like that. Yeah. But yeah, it's I mean again, going from a couple of years back where I, I didn't I had no money and no couldn't be financially responsible at all. Now I'm actually saving money and putting stuff aside. And I'm able to, you know, look forward to, you know, where a day where I plot a land and build a small cabin. Christmas, I treated myself to a chainsaw so I can start doing that. And so not only am I just thinking of here, treating
0: myself to a damn chainsaw. <laughs>
1: yeah, I'm trying, you know, slowly but surely, you know, making it manifest. But it's that little bit at a time, one day at a time.
0: Maybe that's your nickname, Chainsaw.
1: <laughs> I'll go for that. <laughs> let's hope uh, for, for gun bunny but i'll take chainsaw gun bunny Gun bunny that's uh that, that's one of the uh, nicknames we get for uh being artillery
0: good good gun 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 bun
1: gun, gun bunnies we're humping rounds all day
0: <laughs> oh well thank you so much i'm happy to have you
1: well, it was my pleasure and thank you so much for asking me
0: well that wraps up shit show saturday as always Sign up for the Patreon. That is where I host weekly support groups. And it's where you say thanks, Andrea, for all that you do. Patreon.com slash adult child. Follow me on TikTok and Instagram at Adult Child Pod and give me a damn five-star rating on Apple and Spotify. And I will see y'all shit shows on Wednesday. Bye. let